Hi, my name is Quanice Floyd. And I'm Peter Dayton. Welcome to the Embrace Podcast. A program of the Embrace series, which is a partnership between arts education in Maryland schools and the Maryland State Department of Education Fine Arts Office. This podcast will examine the human side of arts education and is an opportunity to highlight arts educators from around the state of Maryland. During each episode, we will interview an arts educator to talk about their journey. Each interviewee will be facilitating a workshop as a part of the Embrace series. Today I'm joined by Beatrice Capote. She is a dancer, educator, and choreographer. She is facilitating Rhythm in Motion, Afro-Cuban Dance Fusion, an Embrace session for Maryland's Creative Teaching Force on Tuesday, May 19th from 2 p.m. to 2.45 p.m. Beatrice, thank you for taking time with me today. Thank you for having me, Peter. Now, I would say this is one of the most specific of the Embrace sessions that have been offered. Many of them have been sort of on general principles of creation or, say, discovering a big idea or collaborative thinking. This is about Afro-Cuban dance fusion. So can you talk about the skill level and what people are coming into this, what they'll need and what they can expect? Sure. Well, this is a Cuban social dance class. And so when we talk about something being social, it's for everyone. So it's for everyone to attend. So there's no experience needed. You know, these dances date back all the way to, you know, the 1800s, even before. But a lot of these social dances are dances that I saw growing up. I'm Cuban-American. My family um, is Cuban from Havana. So a lot of these social dances were dances that my grandmother used to do and grandpa. So rhythm is what is the culture in Cuba, as well, of course, as a dance. So one of the things that I do in my own work is popularize the culture and continue on popularizing it and educating audiences to what Cuban dances are. Now, there's so many different layers of Cuban dances, but I'm just going into a style called rumba. And rumba has three styles, yambu, wawanko, and colombia, which of course I'll explain in the class. And I'm just going to focus on one of those specific styles. People might have a passing familiarity with some uh, Cuban dance music. Could you talk a little bit more about some of the characteristics of it? If you were to hear something come on the radio and think, this is Cuban, what are some characteristics you could point out? Well, in the music, there's the clave, right? There's the 3-2 clave and the 2-3 clave. So you will always hear in rumba wawanko, the clave sound, it goes one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, right? So there's always that clave, which is pretty much your rhythm, your beats, mm-hmm. right? That you're going into. You'll hear it in side You also hear it in so many other different genres of music. But that's very, very specific is the clave. It's always on that clave that we are pretty much initiating the movements. Now, in terms of rumba dance that I'm pretty much teaching, it is a couple dance, right? So there is an interaction that's happening traditionally with the male and female. Mm -hmm. Now, this is not necessarily a close forum, kind of like in salsa, where both partners are facing each other. They're actually side by side. Now, it's one of these things where it's just a call and response, it's a play, it's a little bit of competition. So the whole game is that the male throws uh, something called vacunal, which is called vaccinate. and (laughs) And what the females do is they block. So it's that kind of 
play and interaction interplay that's happening where it's kind of like the male is doing a gesture towards the female, the female blocks. And then that's pretty much what the dance is. Of course it is structured, but it has room for improvisation as well. Right? So that's basically what I would say a lot of Cuban dances are. There's so much characteristics, human characteristics, right? So quote unquote male roles and then female roles and that kind of interaction of let's say in relationships. In contemporary forms, we're in a different generation. I also call it different energies, mm -hmm. right? So each person can just enjoy their own style, enjoy and bring out their own style and their own characters. Well, you said this is a social dance, which I think could be really fun depending on someone's home configuration right now while they're working from home. Say if an educator has a kid that maybe they could do the dance with them. But is this also something that is tailored to people if they might be living by themselves or their partner is at work or something like that, where they're also going to get a full participation out of this workshop? Absolutely. This is open for, of course, everyone. Children can do it. Children in Cuba do it, you know, and even if the participants don't have a partner, that's okay, right? It could definitely be singular. Okay. Well, can you talk a little more about your journey to becoming a dancer, an educator, and a choreographer? Can you talk about growing up with this music and deciding to pursue making this music not just part of what infuses your life, but part of your career? Sure. Well, I'm from New Jersey. My family came from Havana in the 70s and moved to Spain from Spain to New Jersey. My mother, when I was born in the 80s, put me in dance class in New Jersey. So that's how I started dancing more contemporary flamenco um, and other genres of dance, ballet, tap. And dance how it started was of course first in my household you know everything the the my family kept on with that cuban culture uh dance and music so i would say that that's where i started before i started in a school and from the dance school in in uh, new jersey it was called amarilis dance school then from there i continued my training at alvanelli american dance center and there i had a rigorous training in contemporary dance, Horton, Modern, Graham, Ballet, Cunningham, Limon, all of these varieties of dancing that my mom wanted me to have more dynamics and versatility. Then from there, I continued my training at North Carolina School of the Arts as a college student. And then after that, then I continued into my BA in dance education at Montclair State University and MFA. I just graduated about uh, two years ago. Congratulations. Thank you. So that's pretty much the trajectory of my training. And because I'm also a contemporary dancer, then I joined Camille Brown and Dancers Company. And that focuses on contemporary and African-American social dance, as well as within the African diaspora dances. And I also was in several companies, Inspirited Dance, which is predominantly contemporary dance, as well as Kyle Abraham. So I am a contemporary dancer, right? But one of the things that I felt was needed after my school training was that I needed to put more of my roots into my vocabulary. And that's the reason why I began to go into deeper research during my MFA program. And I went back to Cuba and visited my family. It was my first introduction <laughs> to know who my family is in Cuba. And that was exciting. And I learned their dances. So then I thought of deepening this research 
putting it into my MFA program studies and continuing on in this vocabulary that I have incorporated. So one of the things that I am now doing is I teach the dances in two separate segments, the Cuban dances and then contemporary dances, right? And then from there, I also fuse both together. These dances are more connected to the professional and pre-professional dancers. So then I would teach him more to students that actually want to pursue dance professionally. Sure. In between mentioning uh, Graham, Cunningham, Limon, and and then adding traditional Afro-Cuban social dances to the mix, what does a Capote dance piece look like? So one of the things that I'm just doing is trying to um, infuse a little bit more of the of the Cuban torso, right? So there's a lot of undulation of the spine, forward and back, side to side, ripple effect, right? So there's a lot of different things that the back is doing that is really conditioning the back and of course the hips, right? And from there, how can you incorporate that while using your arms and legs? Talking about the undulation of the spine is a really fascinating observation. I think hips is a fairly typical association there. Right. But to think of that movement going all the way from the hips through the entire torso is is a really powerful image. And I'm sure that for the educators who are going to be participating in this, it'll be really good to physically shake things up because I know that just for me in remote working, sitting at my table in my main room this whole time, it's really a bit of a killer on the back. <laughs> yes, definitely conditioning. And one of the things that I felt as a contemporary dancer when I was training and I wasn't doing as much Cuban movements, I would do, of course, Cuban movements in my house. But one of the things that I found as a contemporary dancer that my torso was stiff and not necessarily moving. Hmm. Once I started to incorporate Cuban dance, then I started to find other different layers in my movements. It's just a wonderful thing to use. When I went to Cuba, I studied with Danza Contemporánea of Cuba, and they go into using a lot of undulation of the back as well as gram technique. So they incorporate a lot of the fusion of both while using Cuban rhythms. That was actually my inspiration in creating couple technique exercises. So your own classes, I'm guessing that they range in both age and experience level, but I'd love to talk about some of the students you may have who are in the K through 12 years, but who are coming to you uh, for dance technique and what you're working with, because especially during those years, students' bodies are so both, I'm sure, elastic, but at the same time fragile, because there's so much developing happening. Just talk a little more about what dance is doing for kids at that age. I teach at Avenale American Dance Center, and my population of students that I teach there are high school students. And one of the things that I believe different dances are doing to them is giving them a place of outlet, a place to voice their own characterization, their own style, um, discipline, all of the things that I felt when I was training, right? It's giving them the platform and the agency to just be themselves. I feel that artists in general, we have, we are, a lot of people don't really understand. So it's one of the things that these schools, these educational platforms that include arts, give students the ability to just see a person and see their talent and then from there bounce off. It gives that sacred place for all of them. And it's freedom, I would say. In terms of the different techniques that are taught 
everyone likes to see, at least myself, when I was trading, I like to see my accomplishments, you know, and setting up a goal and, and starting from one place and then seeing how I have transformed, right? That's what we do. We transform. We transform ourselves and we transform the audience. Dance is a language. Dance is a form of expression. So it's one of the things that I always ask my students, what are you expressing? What are you saying with just that one finger? To find a space where you can practice your own craft and think about what you are feeling and what you want to express and think about that through the conduit of a medium in which you're expressing it. So not just what do I want to express, but how am I going to express that through the motion of my arm? That's right. That's so important. Mm -hmm. And the other part of that community is the support of a family that allows you access. Can you talk about the role that your parents and family played in the pursuit of your art? I would say they have always supported every single decision. Um, my mom actually danced in Cuba. She had a lot of training. And one of the things that she wanted to do is pass on the torch <laughs> to me. So that was pretty much my mom's initiation was just to say, you know what, I, I see this talent in you. I was always a shy, quiet person. <laughs> I still am at times. <laughs> I'm an introvert. So she saw that dance was something that I needed. She has always told me that when I dance, that all of the different things that I feel inside, she actually sees it when I'm moving. Mm. My family has always supported me in so many different ways. Even when there was tough times, you know, it's also not easy being an artist, right? No. Um, a freelance artist, it really isn't, you know? And I think that sometimes... A lot of people are not necessarily understanding, okay, so if you're not necessarily getting paid that much, how are you going to support yourself, right? Yeah. So we juggle so many different things, but I have always said, whatever I do, it will involve the field of dance. It, if it's either writing about it, whether it's teaching, whether it's adjudicating, whether it's whatever it is photographing or, you know, whatever skill that I develop in order to bring more funds or to support myself financially, I have always said I am going to create my world of just dance and of course music and just artistry in general. And that's what I tell my students all the time. This is at ALE and I also teach at Montclair State University. And now I will be teaching at Indiana University, but each person here came to this world by themselves, right? Unless you're a twin or whatnot, right? So, and each mm -hmm. one has an individual voice. Each one has a, something to say. Each one has talent and has the freedom and the audacity to just continue to be themselves. So I say, bring that light. You have something that no one else has. So you have to continue on and finding that light, finding that gift. And even if let's say a student pursues something else, somehow I always find them coming back to dance or doing something related to dance. And I know that you're using the expression of finding your light to talk about this light that's inside you, but finding your light is also a stage direction, meaning find the spotlight <laughs> and, and stand in it. And so it's not just about believing in yourself, but taking the chance and putting yourself out there, which can be such a powerful, if terrifying experience. <laughs> exactly. You've now mentioned three different places, at least, if we're talking Ailey is New York, Montclair is in New Jersey, and now Indiana, and you're here in Maryland. So clearly remote teaching is your reality now in an enormous way. Can you talk about the experience of remote teaching? What does dance instruction look like virtually? More coaching. Mm -hmm. It's pretty challenging. 
I'm a person that I'm very in tuned with energies and in tuned with what is needed in the space, depending on what the students are externally giving. It is challenging because you cannot necessarily feel what is happening in the space. So I would say that I have to be patient. I have to put myself even more in their shoes before anything, where their well-being is at. And then from there, I have to ask them about what are the things that they have heard their teachers tell them in terms of the things that they need to apply, corrections, and how can they apply it themselves. So they have the responsibility to own, okay, I need to, let's say, really articulate my back there. How can I do that? And one of the things that I have applied with my um, Montclair State University classes is social media is a big thing for our students and this generation. Sure. So one of the things that I thought of just applying is those social media platforms. So there's this thing called TikTok, right? So one of the things that I had my students do is create their own TikTok with the dances that I taught, right? So that is pretty much where we as educators have to also be relevant to what is happening today and using those social platforms and how can we connect it to the educational system? Have you found sort of cross-institutional or like cross-studio or class either collaboration or exchange? Because unlike, say, in a regular class where, you know, there's only so much time and people have scheduled that time to be there, here you can upload all these videos, maybe they're shared amongst your students with each other so that someone in New Jersey can see what someone in Indiana is doing and someone in New York can see what someone in New Jersey is doing. That's the plan. I believe that there's other studios that are actually doing that. I have not necessarily began that process, but that's one of the things that I would like to do, definitely. With Camille Brown and Dancers Company, we actually have social media classes. So, so my audiences, my students are taking classes in that platform. You know, so there is other organizations and institutions and choreographers working together to do different things. You know, it's just a matter of all of us just getting together, which we already are. But you know, it also takes time and process, and you know, we have to continuously be creative, continuously you know, uh, see what the students need and simply continue on the techniques that are being taught at the same time. I'm sure that a larger lesson can be drawn out of the persistence in that we are all doing our best to continue on in this time. And we certainly hope for better times ahead. Correct. So thank you so much for joining me today, Beatrice. Um, your session again, Rhythm in Motion, is going to be from 2 to 2.45 p.m. on Tuesday, May 19th. And have a great rest of your day and looking forward to your class. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Embrace podcast. For more information on arts education in Maryland schools, visit aems-edu.org. To learn more about the Embrace series and how to register for a session, go to msdefinearts.org. Stay safe and stay creative.